Hi, everybody. Um, it's Derek here. I think you are going to like this podcast, especially from a, uh, a methodological sense, I guess you call it, a training program sense, periodization sense, whatever you want to call it. It's with Dale Stevo Stevenson, who is Tom Walsh's coach, um, uh, now Val- Valerie Adams' coach. He, he's the... Uh, He's the head throws coach for Athletics New Zealand, and uh, I've been trying to uh, hook up with uh, with Dale for quite a while now and just have a chat. But uh, and I mean, and I mean that even before the podcast, him and I've been communicating for a few years now, I guess. But we've never we never actually spoke until this this podcast. So um, it was a lot of fun. I think that this is probably. Uh, well, it certainly was the most intriguing podcast I've done, and you'll know what I mean um, when we get into his programming for Tom Walsh, which, by the way, you do not have to be a throws coach to appreciate it. It's really interesting, and I think it's something that um, pretty much any coach can can get something from. This is the kind of discussion that I that that I started doing this podcast for because what he does is totally different from what we do and I found it really interesting and intriguing and I had a ton of questions and I still have a ton of questions so him and I are going to do a follow-up on this one um, because I just had so much running around in my head when he started talking about it so and I didn't get a chance to ask him all my questions and later as I started thinking more and more about it and I've been thinking a lot about it um, I started thinking about all these other questions about, uh, about how he does things. So, I mean, this guy is on top of it. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's, and it's even, and I, I say this in the, in the written intro, you know, it's even more amazing when you think that, uh, this guy walked into this position, um, essentially with no, well, I wouldn't say no coaching experience because he had coached Tom before that. Um, Tom Walsh, uh, two-time um, Olympic bronze medalist in the shot, world champion indoors and outdoors. Um, and uh, But, I mean, no professional coaching experience. And he got the head coach position at Athletics New Zealand. It's probably the best decision that federation ever made. So uh, there you go. That, that situation doesn't always work out. But it did in this case. So anyways, I'm going to stop talking uh, and we'll just go right into it. Oh, yeah. One thing, um, there's a few uh, technical uh, issues with this one with the sound. Uh, Just, you know, um, going back and forth from Chicago to New Zealand is a tough thing. So just be prepared for that. But most of it's at the end and you can still hear what he's saying quite clearly. So that's all right. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking uh, and we'll just go right into it. So for better or for worse, here is my evil chat with Dale Stevo Stevenson. Hey, Dale, what's up, man? How are you? I'm really good, man. Really hey, good. Hey, nice to be here. Hey, ha- have we ever actually, well, I mean, aside from last night when I completely fucked up this time, and you called me like three times as I'm driving my kids around town. Oh man! I and, uh, anyways, I'll get to that in a sec. But have we ever spoken? 
I don't uh, think- I've never had the pleasure. I don't think face to face. We've sort of had online comms bouncing back and forth, and yeah, a lot of mutual friends and mutual contacts. But uh, hey, it's a it's nice to to finally do it. Yeah, well, likewise, man. I mean, I, uh, you know, what, what, what was it we were going to, I was going to bring you up for the conference that year, right? And then something happened. I, it wasn't, yeah. was it, I forget what it was. It was, uh, something Pretty came solid. up and you, and, and, and you couldn't make it or, I don't think I actually had you scheduled in yet. I think I was still looking for people, but you were the number one guy on my list that I wanted to bring up. And, um, and I, I forget what happened, but you, you, something came up and you couldn't make it um life life happened yeah 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 well yeah life happens a lot with me anyways but um yeah so it's good to talk to you it's good to meet you finally and uh i you know i mean there's a million things million places that we could go with this uh and i you know publicly i apologize for last night i don't know how you i mean you must deal with that all the time trying to trying to tran like trying to work out all the time zones in the world because i'm sure a lot of the people you deal with are in europe and north america a lot right and i was yeah, like absolutely. man i was like okay i was asking siri okay what's the current time in new zealand right now okay i got it okay <laughs> they're, they're 16 hours ahead and i had it all mapped out i thought okay and then we set it up and then i i know what happened is i got it reversed I put it in my calendar and it was 8 a.m. this morning, right? Wow. So this morning, it's Wednesday, the 13th. And this morning it pops up and I'm like, well, that's that's what happened. But it was supposed to be 8 o'clock last 8 night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It was so anyway, sorry about that. But uh, oh, good. Yeah. So, so, you know, without getting too, um, too deep into it, I, I, I want to go through your background a little bit. Um, you know, your, your athlete background, how you got the, how you got into coaching your, your position now, your group. And then from there, we'll get into some technical stuff, but I really, I mean, and this may be a couple of podcasts if you're into it. Uh, I really want to do a deep dive into Tom, his uh, development, what you know of it and what you're familiar with. And, the training, his training, and of course, technique. I also want to talk about, I also want to talk hammer, of course. Right. Um, and, uh, and of course, Valerie, you know, her, like what you, cause you've been working with her for how long now? Uh, 12 months. Okay. Okay, good. So you, so you're familiar with her and what she's doing, obviously. So let's just, let's just, uh, let's just start with your background. Um, so you were a shot putter. Yeah, in a previous life, I uh, was a shot putter. Uh, Man, what, uh, by by present day standards, would be considered a pretty pretty mediocre shot putter. But uh, I was a I threw twenty sixty three, uh, two thousand and twelve, and uh, was that in London? Olympics in London? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh, no, I didn't do it. Uh, I didn't do it in London. Uh, I went to London. That was my last official competition. Was London Olympics? But uh, that year, I threw my 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 PR and uh went through to london olympics and retired uh relatively young after after london and that was it and then um i've got a background in in uh in teaching and uh, got a couple of education degrees and uh got into teaching from there that was what i thought i was going to do and 
hung up my throwing shoes and my wrist wrap and thought that that's me. Um, and yeah, stepped away from it for a while and, and then sort of weaseled my way back in uh, through a few connections and got a phone call 2014 to, to say, hey, is this something you'd consider doing um, professionally? And an opportunity opened up and sort of young and don't have kids and thought, why the hell not? And moved across the ditch to New Zealand uh, the end of 2014 and, and been here ever since now living here with uh, two daughters born in New Zealand and and a squad of athletes and a, a whole uh, another thing on, on calls to friends in a whole different hemisphere. You, your life must be crazy. Like you got two, like you're, so how old are your daughters? What are they like under I got five? a one-year-old and a three, I got a one-year-old oh and a three-year-old. So oh uh, between that and then you have, you know, there's times of the year when oh. I've had athletes competing in Europe, athletes yeah, competing in totally. the U.S., uh, and then so you're, you're dealing with time zones and um and the realities that are little kids so um yeah fortunately um managed to to survive it all and uh don't need a whole lot of sleep just as well because i'm not getting yeah. it but um but life marches on and it's, it's good i'm still passionate about it and wow. probably more than ever curious got a hell of a lot more questions than i than answers um when i started out coaching now professionally whatever that is seven eight years ago right well you've done a hell of a job for sure so, um, okay. So you, what, what's your, what's your official title? I mean, you're, you're essentially the head coach, the New Zealand uh, head, head coach throws for coach. throws. Head right. Throws right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So they don't have a, they didn't give you a fancy title, like uh director no, operation. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, right. I, um, okay. no, I'm not a big business card guy, but, uh, how much of that job yeah. is, are you solely coaching? Like, I mean, or, uh, or, or do you have like coordinator responsibilities? I mean, are you, are you responsible uh, for, I, um, I worked with the our federation here to, to diminish the, um, coordination mm -hmm. component of my role a little bit. And, um, so it's still there, but uh, the meat and potatoes of my role is coaching and, mm -hmm. uh, fortunate to have some good assistant coaches here on the ground who I work with, who, uh, enable me to, to stay focused on the stuff that I'm sort of passionate about and can make a difference. And for anyone who's worked in a, a national federation or a, of a Commonwealth country outside of the US collegiate system, that kind of thing, there's a relatively big emphasis on uh, sort of key campaigns. And, and those ones for us are athletes who are capable of making finals and medals at major championships. And, and therefore we're afforded a fair amount of luxury and, and time and space and resource to, to drill pretty deep into to some campaigns um, that uh, that can put New Zealand, put the black singlet and the, the silver fern uh, visible on, on the big stage. Hmm. How do you like New Zealand? It's a hell of a place. It's a hell of a place. Um, for anyone who's never been, um, I highly recommend it. I live in the South Island in a place called Christchurch. Right. Uh, there's less than a million people live on the whole island down here and it's a oh big God. island. It's kind of Lord of the Rings is the scenery. It's all shot here. And um, went out to training this morning. We're at hammer training, walked out and there's mountains in the background covered in snow and, uh, you know, the surf's only 20 minutes away. And yeah, it's a, it's a wow. beautiful place to, yeah. to live. And um, yeah, I'm a, the I'm only a... downside is it's, it's a long way from everywhere. Well, that's the thing, right? You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit of a polar, polar history buff, polar ex, ex, exploration mm -hmm. buff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Scott Shackleton, all that. 
And yeah. Christchurch is always coming up in those stories, yeah, right? Be. Because that's the, yeah. that's the, for it's, it's one of the two main sort of dropping off points or the point of, you know, it's a point where they leave civilization when they go off to yeah. explore so the South Pole back in the, you know, the US uh, Army the age of here. And then there's, there's uh, Ushuaia in, in South America, which is right. kind of the, the, the two departure points, as you say, but you can fly direct from Christchurch and do a loop over the Antarctic and, and really and come back and land back in Christchurch. <laughs> yeah. It's only a few minutes from our training venue. So if you ever really? find yourself down here, you could kill a couple of birds. Oh my God. I would. Yeah. Well, it's one of my, I mean, I had the two places I always wanted to go uh, that I said I would do before I die was one was a Galapagos, which my mm -hmm. wife, when I met my wife, she surprised me with a, with a 10 day trip tour through the Galapagos. Uh, wow. So I've done that. Yeah, that's incredible. Like that's, that's unbelievable. Except I was sick the whole time and puking and uh, seasickness <laughs> and the flu at double whammy when I was there it was pretty rough. But anyways, and the, and then the other would be, would be one of those tours to like, I would like to go to, um, you know, to see the huts and all of that right and uh you know do all of that i mean i think that would be amazing but but even just to sail through even to fly over and just and just see it would be really cool but if i'm gonna go that far hell i might as well go the whole way but so what what's you know um so what's the big difference between aussies and <laughs> kiwis uh and well actually let's make it a serious question what what's the yeah. what's what's really the difference do you find between the, um, you know, between the systems, I guess, in terms of either being an athlete or coaching or, yeah, or, good question. you know, I guess the, the explicit difference is that, uh, Australia is, um, everything's treated equal. All athletes are treated equal. We're trying to be competitive across every, uh, event group and, um, New Zealand about a decade ago made, made a strategic decision that uh, trying to serve everything ends up serving no one. And they have what's called a targeted event group plan. So they're quite, uh, we don't have a lot of sub 10 second sprinters here. We don't have right. a lot of, um, we don't have a lot of, while there's a great distance running heritage here, you know, mm -hmm. former world record holders and Walker, and um, even more Walker's? recent. Yeah. 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 Walker, Snell, Halberg, yeah. all those guys. And yeah. even recently with the success of Nick Willis, you know, two Olympic medals in the 1500. Um, that's uh, the, our bread and butters uh, not necessarily going to be in those event groups. So we right. there's targeted investment strategically around throws Um and then some other event groups, pole vault, et cetera. But uh, there's a pretty narrow um, strategic decision and then a, a heritage around that that's built off the back of some, some great athletes who kind of built shot put in particular, but now sort of diversifying out to other event groups around throws. And we get some, uh, rightly or wrongly, we get some sort of privileged treatment around resourcing and things like that for... Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's is, the way it should cool. work in a country like that, right? I mean, you have to be a little bit SWAT. You, you can't, gotta you can't yeah. play the whole game. No, um, absolutely. It's simply not sustainable. New Zealand's yeah. a country of you know just under five million people, and and yeah. to compete against big powerhouses with collegiate systems and um, strong club systems and things like that's not going to happen. So yeah. we kind of pick our battles. Right, right. So so who's in your group right now? I mean, I mean, uh, who's, who's moment, it like? I I'm. 
I honestly am not, uh, let me, I, when I say group, I mean the people that you are directly coaching right now or, or yeah, have, so or direct, have strong directly, oversight over. Yeah. Directly coaching is probably only about half a dozen athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, um, some development level, uh, a shot putter, uh, Ryan is about a 20 meter guy. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Ballantyne. Was he uh, number then, one? Was he number one in the world or something under 18 or something? Junior? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Okay. So Ryan uh, threw a long way with a high school shot and uh, he's still developing and going through a few, uh, I guess, teething pains the last couple of years, which happens as a right. young male, um, yeah. figuring out how to find his way in the world. And, and he's coming out the other side of that, which is cool. But all, all uh, of my top young... juniors went through that. Yeah. 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 So that's it's really sorry. good for me. And, um, it's probably something we could circle back to. Like, is yeah, that, yeah. is it a necessary rite of passage? I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'll finish off my list of athletes. I got, yeah. um, uh, another girl, Lexi, who is a sort of establishing hammer thrower who's really fun to work with. And then I've got three, what we call program athletes or carded athletes directly who I'm working with. And that's, uh, Lauren Bruce, could- uh, Valerie Adams and Tom Walsh, who are, uh, all the, area record holders in their respective events all went to Tokyo and um, had had their various trajectories there. So I guess probably of the ones you um, you might've seen in, in Tokyo to be yeah, Lauren, uh, Valerie and, and Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get to them in a sec, but let, let's touch on the junior thing for a bit, because I think that's, that's kind of interesting. So back in my day when I was coaching Dylan and Armstrong, the, Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know of anyways. Um, I competed against Dylan. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. What the hell am I talking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So when, when he was coming up uh, in 2000, he was, he was silver medalist in Chile and he was number one in the world as a junior that year. I had another kid that was number three in the world in the 400. Um, and a couple of years before that, and won a bronze at the world juniors. And at that time, Canada had only, and the only reason I bring those two up is because at that time, Canada had only one uh, after Dylan. Dylan was the fifth, I think, world junior medalist that we had ever had. And out of those Mm -hmm. five, each one of them, with the possible exception of Mark Boswell, who was a high jumper, all five of them did not improve the two years after being a junior. Mm-hmm. They, w- they went through this two-year period. And-, and then there was a whole bunch that were like in the top, like finalists at World Juniors. They all went through the same thing. It was really weird. Like it was really, uh, you know, um, and in, you know, in Dylan's case, he, he didn't improve again until his third year out of junior, uh, where his hammer started going up again. But then we kind of, we also switched to shot. And then he, you know, he really didn't throw much shot before that. And with the 400 meter guy, um, he left and went on uh, to be coached by a buddy of mine and eventually went 44. He was the first Canadian under 45 seconds with Kevin Tyler. And anyway, so it's kind of weird. Like, you know, I think, I don't know whether it's a mental thing or whatever, or it's a physical thing. I don't know. I think maybe it's a, it's a, I don't know. Maybe it's a whole bag of things that kind of, way on their shoulders and they struggle with it but if they can get over if they get through that get through it then they they, you know they usually come through in the long run 
Yeah, there's an inextricable link between the sociological and physiological side of things too. I mean, you see it with the athletes coming out, whether it's coming out of high school or, or the junior ranks or coming out of the collegiate system in the US. There's a period of time, unless you're an absolute rolled gold superstar star, you can go straight into, you know, a diamond league level circuit, mm. maybe as a hundred meter sprinter or whatever. There's very few of those in the throws. It just takes longer to develop. And mm -hmm. um, I think in the end, you're, you're better for it if you can traverse your way through it. But uh, yeah. and having, even, and even those if, teething pains is universal. Yeah. And even if you're really good, you, I mean, you know, you're not making a lot of money. You know, no. and, and I mean, I remember Dylan was like, it's like, you know, Q was number one in the, in the world the year before as a junior. And then, you know, he didn't have enough money to buy a car. Like, you, you mm -hmm. know, half the time he's taking his mom or dropping him off at work or he's taking a bus or something like that. And then, you know, I mean, it was, you know, that's tough, man. When you're, when all your buddies, you're not, you're in a resource-based industry town and all of your buddies are getting jobs in the mills and that and they're all they got all the toys and they got that's not easy like people forget you know that that's not you know it, it you're not and he was a hammer thrower so that's like at the bottom of the of the male hammer throwers are like at the bottom of the heat almost literally you know i mean so anyway them and rice walkers hey yeah exactly well in canada not so much man canada we we have a we have a kick-ass race walking coach. He's a friend Evan, of mine in Vancouver. Yeah, oh, yeah. Coach, uh, Evan Dunphy is one of Evan his. Evan Dunphy is obviously yeah. a bit of a poster child there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Jerry and um, I'm actually I've talked to him about getting him on the podcast. But yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right. Race walkers and, and haver throwers. That's it. You know. Anyway, so let's let's talk. Uh, okay, let's get into it with Tom. So give me a dude. Like, how much detail do you know? I guess I like, did you, you I, I'm assuming you started coaching Tom when you took the job in New Zealand, obviously. I mean, that must uh, be official, officially. Yeah. So uh, I guess to give you the potted history of it, the 20 seconds. So uh, I competed against Tom and uh, when I retired, uh, he was, you know, I was living in Melbourne, Australia and he's, he's from New Zealand and he would come over and train uh, in Melbourne with us periodically, sleep on my couch, and um, I was working full time, so we'd we'd do a bit of training when I get home from work. And I said, look, I'd, it was little something just on the side to give back. And um, he was maybe nineteen at the time, twenty, just out of school and trying to keep things going for himself. And yeah, that was it was pretty humble beginnings, and he was throwing nineteen meters or so, eighteen, nineteen meters, and uh didn't wasn't a huge investment of energy for me and then one thing led to another and he had his New Zealand set up established but that kind of fell apart and or he outgrew it and uh between 2013 14 he went to he broke 21 meters uh at world indoors in 2014 and then the, that was the catalyst for the New Zealand Federation Athletics New Zealand who are my employers to say hey we need to put some structure around uh Tom and Right. And that's where they picked up the phone to me. And, and yeah, the rest is history from there. But I guess formally uh, coach Tom since the, the back end of 2014. Okay, cool. So what do you know of his development? Like as from whatever age you know of, do you know any, I mean. Yeah, reasonable amount. So, okay. so Tom played cricket growing up. He's a passionate really? player. Uh, yeah. Also a lot is of he rugby, a bowler? hockey. Uh, he was, there's an all rounder, uh, all rounder, but um he could uh he also 
was a rugby player and hockey is from a rural upbringing. His parents, Which hockey? Um, Ice or uh, field? Field. Field oh, hockey. Oh, okay. Yeah, field hockey. Uh, we, uh, where was it going with that? He's from uh, a farming family and oh. uh, grew up around stock and working on stock stations down in the South Island. And, and uh, so relatively well-rounded, robust yeah. upbringing. Uh, got in touch with a, a legendary community coach in his hometown uh, about two hours out of Christchurch and and would I know that who person opened up uh his name's Ian Baird you wouldn't know Ian no, um, not many people do but he's kind of a Ian would now be gosh I'm gonna ballpark him as mid 70s right. uh, maybe a little older and he's so he's a, your a classic unsung coach hero coach kind of classic thing classic unsung hero yeah. of uh of a lot of he actually was I mentioned Lauren Bruce, the hammer thrower I'm working with as well. He was Lauren's childhood coach as well. Uh, introduced wow. her to hammer and anyone, anyone turns up to the track and says, I want to have a crack at this. So pole vault or distance running or triple jump, you name it. And um, Ian's, Ian's the kind of guy, if we could, I've always just said, if we could somehow clone him and put, yeah, put a hundred totally. of him around New totally. Zealand, we'd be an absolute powerhouse. Totally. But, uh, those people Shit, he might be a good interview, man. It'd be an amazing interview Fuck. that you'd probably have so to bring him a six- six pack of beer and get yeah, that's no problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah just don't let him listen to my last podcast that's all uh, uh, i did listen to that i gotta i gotta circle back to that one too but okay um, okay yeah, look uh, yeah. that, that's kind of the potted history of tom's upbringing and um undoubtedly has played into who he's become now and how he right. the kind of athlete is he is and what he's done he's uh, got an incredible one of tom's hidden gifts is his plasticity and skillfulness around learning new tasks he's a very right good learner uh, adept learner yeah and and that um undoubtedly traces back to his uh his upbringing and and the breadth of experience and and exposure he had to different tasks right so just just to wrap that up a bit so how would you characterize his physical development up until he was say post junior was he i mean you know i i guess where i'm going with that is or what i'm trying to get at is you know, I mean, from what you told me, very well-rounded, right? And very yeah. uh, non-specialized. And do, do you know what age he started picking up the shot? Uh, he started picking up the shot in high school. Uh, mm. So it would have been early teens. And, okay. So and pretty standard. Dabbled, but he was still playing competitive cricket right and through until he finished high school. Um, really? He actually wow. went to the U.K., UK for a cricket scholarship and lived there for a period of time in high school. So, wow. uh, yeah, pretty, pretty adept player, cricket player. I, I didn't know him as a cricket player, but, right. um, from all reports, he could, he could handle himself a bit. And, um, well, obviously if you really play cricket, he's an all around athlete. If he, I mean, Jesus Christ, if you're yeah. playing cricket and you end up Olympic two-time Olympic bronze medals and world champion indoors and outdoors in the shot, you're pretty goddamn good all around athlete. Right. Yeah, he's he's good at figuring things out. Tom's really yeah, good yeah. at problem cool. solving, and um, yeah, that's a. Uh, if I had to to answer your question, if I had to characterize his development, it would be diverse. Right, diverse. Okay, good. Yeah, that's really good. So then, and then you come along, and I'm a, so. How old was Tom when you started coaching him? Tom would have been twenty two maybe okay 21 or 22 yeah okay so who was so was it was it ian bird 
Did you Baird, B-A-I-R-D, Baird. Uh, Baird, Baird, Baird. Yeah, correct. Okay, Ian, Ian Baird. So was Ian his coach up until then, or, or did was he coached by like Didier or someone like that, or do you know? No, not Didier. He had uh, he had another coach, Andrew McLennan, based in Christchurch, but uh, okay. Ian's based in in Timaru, which is the rural town about two hours from here, and. Okay. Uh, Tom had moved to Christchurch for work and uh, sporting purposes and kind of graduated from his hometown. And he'd cobbled together a, a loose training setup between Ian back in Timaru and, and Andrew in Christchurch, but it wasn't quite fit for purpose and needed some unification. So that was the first six months really was cobbling this thing together into some more professional approach to, to achieve what he wanted to achieve. Which That's was, uh, for six first months task. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So let's start from there then. So, so like, really, I mean, I ha I sent you some questions that I like, but really what I want to do is, is I just want to get some insight into the programming with them, whether, you know, how either how that's evolved, like what your philosophy is, you know, just have that talk and we can just go from there. So how, like, let's, like, how would you characterize the programming that you do with him overall? Like, let's, and you can, you can start with anything. I mean, you know, you can start from, it. you know, like, like, so for instance, like, what is a micro, you can start at that level of micro, we can go wider, or you could talk about that. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, oh, let me, let me reverse engineer it a little bit. The, yeah, um, perfect. The way, the way that Tom produces force is bespoke to Tom as it is with anyone. And the starting point is really understanding that because there's a bit of a paradox. Tom's standing throw, his best standing throw, and I've seen him go hard out at them. We trained them for a while. And Tom's a strong guy, obviously a capable thrower. His best ever standing throw with a comp shot. I think he maybe just snuck one over 16 meters, 1630 maybe. And uh, Recently? You're saying that's what it would be now? That's what it would be in his peak when we were training it. This would be when he won world champs, 2017, 2016. Holy um, shit. Really? And so wow. the differential, okay. 100%. Tom's differential between his standing throw and his full throw would be the biggest of anyone else in the world. And people think Absolutely. he's just sandbagging. He's, he's not having a reasonable go at it. He doesn't really know what he's doing, but that's just what he's good for. He's, yeah. Yeah. He, um, yeah. he's not good at it. He can't produce concentric force uh, to the same degree that someone like a, a Krauser can or a Dylan can, or mm -hmm. a, um, yeah, he, that's not the kind of beast wow. he is. What Tom's what Tom's really good at is conservation of energy uh, and and minimizing amortization and leakage. He's, he's very efficient once he gets going. It wow. takes a while to get going. Um, so from there, we kind of go. Well, let's reverse engineer. This guy's gift is his ability to, to conserve energy, not to produce it necessarily. So our strength and conditioning philosophy, our technical philosophy is based off things like uh, assumptions or premises such as the throw starts at the back of the ring. So we're trying to produce one constant uh, line of force, much more like a hammer thrower. Mm -hmm. It's about not breaking, doing less and being more efficient through the throw as the ball accelerates rather than trying to set up a massive impulse at the front because that's not a card he has to play. So all of our S and C programming, all of our training cycles are, are, 
uh, orchestrated around that that premise of leveraging his gifts and uh, trying to mitigate his weaknesses. So, so give me an example. Uh, let's say, you know, how how would that impact how you set up his throws period, his throw actual throwing periodization? I mean, or does that mean that you are, you know, are you uh, are you efficient with the with 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 the throws that he doesn't work as like? So, like, does he do? fewer throws more often or does he do a yeah, lot so of Tom would throw Tom would throw very frequently uh between four to six times a week hmm. uh which is quite a lot uh for a, for a shot putter but it's part of his uh makeup he, he likes to touch the shot often and freq- uh, frequently but not for massive sessions that's something that's changed over time he doesn't do a heap of throws but he he does a lot of drills, a lot of part throws, uh, imitations, and what we're looking for those is not technical, but but uh, rhythm. And rhythm, right? Rhythm for him is everything. So we don't want if we get too far away from rhythm, the, the kind of the two ways we can break rhythm. One is through load, just crunch him to the point where he can't right. feel it, or or overload the shot, have him throw a nine k, something like that. That would just destroy him. Uh, or we start getting really uh, reductionist technically, like, like start looking at positions and and that breaks the sequence for him. Wow. Neither of those are things that we do. So we throw frequently, uh, we throw with low volume uh, and we throw light shots a lot. Wow, uh, so okay, so, so what are the, what's the, pr- sorry, go ahead. I, I think I cut you off there. No, no, no. I mean, as a general guiding principle, uh, when Tom's in his heaviest, cycles of training he'll be throwing the lighter shots so that he can maintain that that feel and contact for the ball and release velocity that uh, he needs to then be able to replicate that with a you know a six and a half k a 6.8 k a 7 k and then eventually the comp ball the comp ball here we would only touch for a couple of sessions if not one session before a, a competition he, we don't really throw anything above a seven flat above a seven flat so you you mean you, oh i see you mean prior to competition prior to competition yeah. i mean all year round all year round yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay the day yeah, yeah. Before competition, yeah. you know what uh, we would throw like yeah balls. i i i i'm there you know like mm-hmm. i learned with I, I i've learned with a number of female hammer throwers to do the same to work around the comp ball but don't work yeah. the comp, comp ball you know mm-hmm. and let, you know just a like a couple sessions before maybe, you know, like when Sultana Frizzell broke Canadian record, she um, was really kind of haphazard in a way. Like um, we were throwing the four and a half and the three and a half K in, in mm-hmm. a, in a cycle, she hit peak condition and man, she put together a couple of workouts. I remember one, it was just incredible. She was throwing like uh I forget what the actual number. Yeah, no, no, I do actually. So I think she went 7180 with a four and a half and yeah. something crazy with the three and a half. And I just looked at her at that workout and I said, you need to find a comp and you need to get on a plane. And she went, mm-hmm. yeah. And that was right before it just happened to be right before the Tucson meet where mm-hmm. this year, Lauren threw so well, she broke your national record. And, um, um, and ever since then I've been, you know, um, playing a lot with that. Like, I don't think, I really don't think you need to touch it as long as you're around it. Right. Cause you got to have the, I mean, you got to have the timing and the rhythm. Yeah. I think, 
Um, I, you know, and there's, and this may sound ridiculous and I'm sure it will to some people, but I think there's something about holding it back and putting it in their hands for a meet that freshness, you know, like, it's just a little bit, you, you know what I mean? It's like, and you, but you gotta, you gotta figure out the number of sessions before it may only be one or two or three or whatever. It won't be more than that. And I think there's something yeah. to that, you know? Yeah. So for us, that's, that's one, the, the magic number is one session. Um, yeah. And I guess our, our kind of sweet spot ball that we would do more than half of our total throws with is a 6.5 for Tom. Hmm. Um, it just works out to be about right. It's something he can, he can find sort of 22 meters ish most of the year round with that now. Um, and that keeps us close enough to be like, cool. If we, if we freshened up for a short cycle or, or made the adjustments that you could convert something reasonable if we needed to, uh, but also, yeah, not feeling like you're, um, you're in having to be in peak condition all the, all the year round, you know, like it's, it's just enough that you can get work in, uh, make some longitudinal developments, but uh, not get too far away. And we, so we, we use a rolling average, four session rolling average that I track. Uh, and if that rolling average dips too far, then uh, we'd adjust, we'd auto-regulate. Well, that. A four session rolling average. So that means, yeah. so at any one point, you know, what, what the, what the, the two sessions before, well, well, it would have to be the four, the four sessions, sessions before, the four yeah. sessions before what the average is. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, so we have a, a normal, a normalization metric, uh, which is a, just a calculation that's come up with to, to equate what a X distance with a six K would equal this with right. a seven, two, six for Tom. So and you all can of predict really plugging. accurately what he's going to throw with, from all your data, you can basically extrapolate what he's going to throw at the seven, seven point two. Yeah, it's not so much about extrapolation, but rather just uh, being able to compare uh, stimulus. So you get a session with the the six point five, and the next session might be with the six seven five, or the seven flat, or the six k, or whatever. We can know how they stack up compared to each other, right. and then we use that that four session rolling average over time. What's the trend, and what direction are we going based? Uh, or how does that align with the training cycle that we're in? Are we making the changes that we want to make or are we just guessing? Um, cause I don't really like guessing. I'm not a, I'm not yeah. a guessing kind of guy. Yeah. Tell me about it. Do you, um, <laughs> so do you use, so you track that you get some kind of curve. Do you use that curve to, I mean, does that influence what you're going to do in the next cycle in terms of your selection of, of, of throwing way of throwing balls like the it, it influences it influences the session we do that day uh so tom would throw uh again i can give you some insight leading into this year the start of this year the first first uh quarter of this year we we're using a totally auto-regulated approach where tom would throw and then based off how that throwing session went his uh gym session it was capacity training is what i how I think of it. it was based off that session. So if that session was flying, that would be a five session. That's the hardest session we do. Uh, and we'd go straight into the gym and hit it at a five, which would be high volume, high intensity. If the session was uh, moderate, he'd do a three out of 10 down to a, a poor session. If it was totally tapped neural or otherwise, and was at a level where 
he couldn't break at, on a normalized distance, couldn't break uh, 20 meters, um, and it dropped well below that, then he would just pack your bags and go home. So um, that, that was kind of an auto-regulated approach that we used to, to keep things right. part, partly novel, but also uh, try and maintain that rolling average because it dropped away for a bit uh, back in the last year through a number of reasons, COVID included, but um, mm. we needed to, to prioritize the, the level of throwing above all else and kind of fed everything off a cascade of that. Right. So, so let's say it's Wednesday morning. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're going to go throw, you got some lifting planned, let's say, right. A workout mm -hmm. that day, maybe whatever. Do you do, do you ever do two a days or one or, or, or no, you stick with one, okay. but he'll, he'll regularly throw and throw and lift on the same day. Right. Okay. So, so you're, so you're, so what is it like the night before, after he's thrown on Tuesday, you know, what is you, you got the four day average from his throwing. So uh, it's even more, more time acute than that. So he throws, Wednesday you include morning. Wednesday morning. Yeah. He throws Wednesday morning. Wow. We, we walk in, I, it goes in my spreadsheet and it says, cool. That's a, that's a four. We're doing a four. Um, really? Same so session. you have a, yeah, okay. Same okay. Session, but it's, uh, we, it's done at a four level of intensity and volume. That's kind of cool. So, okay. So, so you have a five zone intensity scheme. Yeah. Scheme. Thank you. Scheme. And then, so whatever, wherever he fits in there, that dictates. So you, you, you know what the, the exercises are, Correct. what, what would you change first to bring them? Say, say you were, I, okay. Say you were assuming Wednesday morning before you started, you know, you think, okay, maybe he'll be a three or four today and he throws Wednesday morning and it's five how would you change like what's the first thing that you change for the rest of the session to make it a, to make the lifting the special exercises i'm assuming whatever else you got to do that day what yeah. do you do to make that a five you are are you increasing the intensity or the volume or both, both. or and the, the last thing that goes in that i'll so i'll answer that question then i want to loop back to one thing that i've skipped over there uh the last thing sorry the a five the, the last thing that goes in and the first thing that comes out is overloaded eccentrics so slow eccentrics so the difference between a four and a five is a five has uh overloaded eccentrics and a four doesn't so wow, okay we only only do those or did those when he's at a level uh where he can neurologically handle it and so what's a four like classic max numbers. strength yeah, four would be classic, uh, like a wave loading up to a one RM, um, and then uh, so you're essentially following the force velocity curve on your zones. You got it, hundred percent. Oh wow, that's pretty 100%. cool. That's pretty. Uh, yeah. That's and pretty right down to a, a one session, which is pack your bags and go home. <laughs> right, that's the right. The best thing you can do right, right. now is leave. Yeah. And the 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 other thing I was remiss not to mention before is we built some subjectivity into it as well. So. Uh, Tom gets a, a feel factor. How do you feel that session was? Um, and I get a say as well. And, and a lot of the time it's kind of sitting on the cusp numerically between, a, you know, that we punch it in and it says that's a 3.8. And Tom says, um, I'm pretty flat today. And let's, let's go with a three or vice versa. This is after the throwing session. 
after the throwing session. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you're, you're, you've, you've warmed up thrown at the end of it. He does, you know, and it's just a simple conversation or do you actually yeah, ask something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it's oh a yeah, that conversation was, a, as we're that was a four. I thought it was a three. Okay. Stuff. Let's okay. Simple as that. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, that's, it, it's very different from, from what we do with the bonnet truck thing where we don't, we don't, yeah. I mean, everything is just straight ahead, but I find structure, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's, it's just, it's just a, it's just a constant stimulus that you, yeah. and you try, I mean, it's just a different way. Right. Well, I find that fascinating. I find that really interesting. So you don't worry then about, see, this is, this is, um, this would be my question here would be, you don't worry about well obviously you don't but you don't you don't worry about changing the stimulus so much on such a day-to-day -day basis that it doesn't give him enough consistency for adaptation i mean it's kind of a stupid question because <laughs> i mean how far is a guy thrown right like you know uh what's he throwing 2280 2290 yeah 90 90 um, right yeah sorry yeah, i was uh, yeah yeah, for third, not a bad throw for bronze, hey? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, I know. The but the yeah, but yeah, you, you know, but do you get my question? I mean, it's I understand it's, your question. You've got to apply the same stimulus repeatedly in order to elicit adaptation, and mm -hmm. if it's too varied, then yeah, there's too many variables and a lot of guesswork. I guess what's my 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 counter to that and my my thinking around it is, it's never truly consistent anyway. You know, every organism is different on any given day. So you can never truly apply the same stimulus twice. You know, no, no man steps in the same river. Twice you mean you can't, you can't apply it the because river, they're right? not, you mean you can't apply it to the same, you can't apply the same stimulus to the same organism because the organism is different every day. Is that, is that Correct. what you're saying? Right, right. Correct. Yeah, no, I get that. But at the same time, I mean, I've seen it work. Right. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. and, and honestly, like the whole bonder Chuck thing is like, like <laughs> if it wasn't bonder Chuck who did it, nobody would, I mean, people would laugh me out of that. Like if it was Derek yeah. Evely who came up with the system yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I was teaching it on a website, people would laugh me out of that. Like I'd have probably three people that I'd suckered into taking it. Right. Because, but because it's, it's that name, you know, I mean, enough, you know, enough people have done it you know, and, and, and it works, but I always say this, man, and, and I don't say this to be, um, you know, congenial or anything. I say it because it's the truth. It's just like, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of good systems out there. What people need is a system. <laughs> they need a system. They don't need this yeah. system or that this system. system. Yeah. They need something. It's something about the system. If the system works and it is a system, right? Like yours, to me, I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of bullshit out there, to be honest with you. People call things mm -hmm. systems and they're not really systems, but they're, what they are, they're, they're means, they're not methods, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, to me, it sounds like what you've did. I don't know if you've developed this, but it sounds like to me, that's a method, right? Because it has a feedback mechanism in it and you're, and you are, you are, you know, the, the system, the path that you're taking isn't random, 
right? Like you could no. say, okay, well, there's a ton of variation in it. It, it might look random, but it's not it's not random at all because you are, you are being consistent in the way that you are applying the stimulus, right? Um, in, in the fact that you are, you know, you have this, you have this way of, um, you know, this system for, uh, help me out here, uh, for, for figuring out where he is every day. And then yeah. you're, 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 you're changing it's, accordingly, it's right? Indexed. Like that's it's a system. an index system. Yes, and the, thank the, you. The, the indexing happens off throwing. And yeah. throwing's the thing we're trying to shift. So I put that at the center of it. We don't want to, if anything's going to get us too far away from throwing far, then we don't do it. Like right. if, if going and running a marathon makes made the shot go further, we'd do it. If, right. if yeah. Yeah, going yeah. and exactly. you know, yeah. taking an international flight to around yeah. or flying around Antarctica made the shot go further, then that's yeah. the thing that's going to make yeah. the shot go further. So the system is based around understanding the premise of, what is the stimulus here that will make the ball go further right. and honoring that regardless of bias. Right. Um, now the caveat on that is we've all got bias and uh, the better we can understand that the, the better served we'll be able to be to evolve our system. But ultimately if you were to give art, an artificial intelligence project, how to make a hammer go further or how to make a discus go further or a shot go further or whatever, um, I'd be fascinated to see what it came up with. And mm -hmm. I think it would look nothing like what any of us had conceptualized mm -hmm. because there's, we've all got ingrained patterns of how I've done things or what's worked in the past. But when you start looking in fine detail, this is a luxury of being in the, the country and the situation that we're in. We've got the luxury of time and, and intellectual property to be able to hone in on this stuff at mm -hmm. high resolution. It is just at a bespoke level, N of one for Tom, what makes the ball go further? How do we honor that? So yeah. that's well, a relatively yeah. simple concept, Back to the, but it's easier to, said than done. To the to the point on bias, though, I think you know, I think you've you've addressed that by the fact that you have two subjective measures after that throwing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm yeah. assuming that's to counter that, right? That's to or you know to some degree that's to account for that. He feels like he's you know, oh my god, that was a five. You're like. Eh. Yeah, you know, maybe the because of course, if he throws far, he's going to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. But if he threw far, but you saw something, you go, well, I don't know, it's a three, you know, and so let's let's settle on four, right? I, I, I'm assuming that's why that, you have that. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. Right, right. So, so then, so this, okay, so now we know how you, how you, how the stimulus changes day to day based on how he's feeling how does how does the overall periodization well, i hate that word how about the overall planning and structure do you like like i mean obviously like do, do you do you work off of a set number of weeks with any given set of exercises or do you no we work off a, a force time profile so uh that's our that's our kind of bible um and we cycle through it from slow eccentric, fast eccentric, uh, fast concentric to ballistic. Boom, 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 boom. Those same four phases. So slow eccentric, fast eccentric, fast concentric, ballistic. So that would and be throughout, would that, or is there a beginning timeline 
like a beginning point and so you say, okay, we're going to do. Over time, we, we followed the same sequence uh, in 2015 as we did in 2021. The difference is in 2015, each one of those phases lasted from eight to 10 weeks. In 2021, each one of those phases Shorter. lasts from five five yeah. to 15 days. Yeah. Wow. Um, really? That big yeah. of a, that, wow. Okay. Well, that, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Because the better, the more, I, to me, in my experience, and from talking to colleagues, I mean, who've worked with far more high-performance athletes than I have, but um, the better an athlete gets, the faster they come into peak condition, right? The faster they adapt, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so they, um, wow, that's really interesting. So, so, so you, okay. So I guess my basic question is like, how do you know when to change? You, you just know, like, it's like you, you're following this, you're following results in training with this rolling average and that it gets to a point. What tells you that there needs to be a change in exercise or parameter loading parameters how do you know when to go from slow eccentrics to fast eccentric or is that just planned out beforehand do you i mean because you but you just yeah, said that it was that's go ahead it's a bit chicken or the egg that one so we uh there are some constraints that we can't work around major championships example uh there are some you know times a sponsored athlete so some of the comps example Prefontaine, uh, contractually obliged, well, not anymore, but was contractually obliged to go to that. So we put them in the calendar and then we, we work back from those hard constraints because no one cares where, right. you know, they're not going to reallocate world indoors based on where you're at in your training cycle. So um, yeah, <laughs> that is a pitfall. That is a pitfall of the, uh, of the completely uh, auto-regulated approach. There's a right. bit of fudge factor there as well, but um, essentially we're trying to best fit those training cycles into uh, the hard constraints that we can't shift. Right, right. Um, God, I got so many questions about that. Um, so, okay, so, but that aside, so you, you essentially, like what, like how would you know that he's ready for a change. I mean, obviously it's going to be results oriented. Like what would tell you, like, give me an, I mean, I don't know if you can, but maybe give me an example of like, okay, well, you know, I know when he's, you know, he's, he's when four of those rolling cycles have got, for example, have are like above a certain amount or, you know, he's rocking then I know, you know, he's ready to go. He's in peak condition is, would you make a change then or would you keep going or, one of the things the lessons 2015 is a great example uh tom finished fourth at world championships and uh went on to compete afterwards and he was pretty dirty that he didn't make a podium at world champs and um that would have been his first senior outdoor uh, podium and with the carrot of the olympics the, the next year he went back on the road for uh, another four to five weeks going doing the circuit in Europe and we sat down prior to that and said hey there's a there's a number of factors at play here obviously you can make money competing post major championships etc but the biggest thing we can get from this is we're going to learn what your uh, plan or periodization I don't like that word but how that 
how that has led you to this point, because in our hypothesis, you should have been in peak form at World Champs, but we don't know that for sure. So you need to treat every comp from now on with the same rigor uh, as you have for World Champs. And what we saw is that he continued to get better. Uh, he held mm. form and continued to improve uh, for about 20 to 25 days after where we thought he was at. Oh, really? Point. Wow. Wow. Uh, so what we do the next year, we time shift a little bit and give him a longer, freshen up uh, period before um, before Rio. Cool is in great physical condition, but he, one of the things for Tom, he's a natural competitor. He's an extrovert. He likes, he needs competition to get in shape. Uh, so he arrived in Rio, basically through throwing about the same distances as he was at World Champs the year before. He'd held that form for a much longer um, but wasn't as competition hardened as he was the previous year. 2017, uh, which found a happy medium between the two of the physiological preparation as well as the, the psychological competition um, patterning that he needs to find that really sharp edge that gets him. You know, we're talking for time. That's, that's the difference of around maybe up to about a meter. Uh, the stimulus he gets from competition. Tom's never thrown anything close to 2290. Uh, in competition ever really? he doesn't in, his, his best in training comes in, comp. in training never yeah, um, yeah okay you yeah, said competition okay yeah yeah sorry wow yeah, really in, really in, so in he's training, got a, yeah. so he's a good competitor obviously he's a good competitor yeah and still is and uh he doesn't have any ridiculous training marks he's got some good ones but nothing that would blow your mind and right. 2017 we managed to amalgamate the kind of two realities there and he ended up winning world champs so it's not as simple and linear as that, but uh, essentially that's kind of the, the thinking into uh, how we come up with a scheme that's going to get him in shape. Uh, what we've prided ourselves on, one thing Tom's prided himself on, is getting in, being in shape when it really counts. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, we could go hours and hours here, and I have a feeling you and I will probably do another one of these at some point down the road, <laughs> not too distant future. But uh, I want to sh- that I think can segue good into mechanics. So. As, as his coach, well, I mean, I, where should I start? Uh, let's start at the end, actually. Let's start where, where you just were. So in competition, like what it, what is it you will see from him in competition technically that tells you or leading up to a competition that he's ready to go? Like what does he do well? What, do you, what are some of the is – a, is it a position, a landmark? Is it a rhythm um, that – that you'll see and you'll go, Oh yeah. Okay. This is, this um, is going to go well. Yeah. Good question. I guess the best, the best barometer that I have for where Tom's at is um, freedom. And when, when he's throwing really well, that's a concept that makes sense to him. It's something that I can see in the way he moves in the circle. It's uninhibited. Um, and freedom is the, the word that the lexicon that we've kind of attached to that. Mm. Um, it's also a, a psychological state. It's an expression rather than a, um, an effortful um, emotion. It, it's just a, a letting go. And yeah, no, I, I think I know. I think I, yeah, I know. It's one of those things where you're, you, you know, you say free. Well, what the fuck does that mean? But I think I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no hesitation. There's no holding back. There's no, there's no issues. There's no hiccups. There's no, it's just, just looks natural. It looks right right i mean mm. i mean shit man that's what the hammer's all about right 100%. like you know um 
so uh okay so let's go to back to the other end when you first started coaching him um you know what were some of his his issues around that or or was that his issue was he was he was he uh you know was was he was he as good with this whole red, uh, rhythm concept as obviously he wasn't as, as he is now but like where was he technically what did you you know you know like where did you step in initially and say okay i think this is the way that we need to go and what was it or do you remember um i don't remember an exact turning point i mean it, it was my biases coming into it where i i was in, fascinated by the paradox of why Tom could throw as far as he could throw without the metrics that I thought he needed to throw that far. Yeah, no. Um, this is even when he was throwing yeah. before he was throwing twenty-two. This is as a nineteen-fifty guy. I was like, this, it doesn't add up in my. Yeah, what mind. was his what was his stand put then? Was it like twelve meters or something? Thirteen? Yeah, or something? Like a, <laughs> like, you know, and, and I'd been retired and I could throw further than you know for a couple of years and I could roll out in in work shoes and throw further than he could off a standing throw, but then there was some way that he was producing force and I'm like, is he throwing a different shot or like what's going on? Yeah. Um, and so that really piqued my curiosity uh, to, to figure it out. And um, I guess that when you come in the first two years, I probably didn't help Tom much because I was full of bluster and ego and uh, wanted to overlay my own, lens on things and that didn't necessarily help as much Been and there. then once i sort of let that go and um and became a bit more of a servant to the people in physics rather than the the ego of it that uh, it started to make a lot more sense and and reconceptualizing the way the ball moves uh, i mean i listened to one of your podcasts around uh, i might have been chatting with don who's a you know mutual mm -hmm. contact of ours and mm -hmm. um been a good mentor to me mm -hmm think about hammer as an example like the yeah to a lot of people and part one of the great uh, branches of the the u.s you know coaching tree and mm -hmm. um he talked about the the athlete moving the ball versus the ball moving the athlete and the system and there was something that got lost in translation with yuri or dr b in a clinic somewhere mm -hmm. and the the ability inability to see eye to eye because they're just speaking different languages, not not English and, and Russian, but uh, language as far as how they see the problem of how to make the ball go further. Mm -hmm. And and once you can learn to speak the language of an athlete, uh, it gets really fun and, and accessible and intimate. And and that uh, is a really nice, fertile place to be. And um, it, that probably really took hold for Tom, I feel like maybe 26. 16 2017 i felt like we were totally on the same page um and it required more than anything a, a yielding from me to to really understand what it, what his felt sense was and what he what he needed to to move the ball 22 meters plus um you've, and then it becomes really fun you know one one of my biggest hangups as a coach or one of my biggest errors that i'm constantly making is that i just i mean i get a very strong sense that you are not like this and i know dr b is not like this is he knows when to leave it alone right he knows when to when to just 
you know, let it take its course and say very little. I, I don't think, I mean, now that Sadiq's gone, I, I, I really don't think he coached him technically as much like indirect. And I'm not saying that he didn't, you know, he didn't develop him technically. I'm saying that I think the input that he gave to Sadiq was a lot less than a lot of people think in the hammer. I think he was, and I don't know this from him. This is just me look, I, you know, looking at it from the outside, like anybody, but I think he, I think Sadiq knew inherently it was in there. He knew how to throw it. Dr. B, you know, it's kind of like raising kids, right? You, you know, like I say this in this sport parent mm -hmm. course, I got, you know, if, if you want to be a good sport parent, put them in the right environment and then get the fuck out of the way. That's, that's yeah. what you need to do. Right. Yeah. And I, 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 as a coach, a lot of times fail to do that. <laughs> I'm such a control <laughs> freak, but it's not, it, I mean, I, to me, for me, in my case, I don't think it, it doesn't come from as much about controlling it. It's I get excited and I say, Oh yeah, if we just, yeah, yeah, we just do this. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, I push things a bit too quick sometimes. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just something I, you know, it's just the way I am. Right. But I mean, would that, would that characterize a lot of how you like, you know, you, you kind of do a little more of this, just sort of more like you just sort of push him this yeah. direction a little bit, then let him go on his own, then push him that direction a little bit, let him kind of find it because with those, with that big concept style of technical coaching, I think you got to kind of do that. You know what I mean? And you like, and it's, I mean, that's, and that's a genius type of coaching that, that a lot of people don't have, right? Like it's just allowing them to discover it. I think you need certain fundamentals to get there. Like at some point in time, someone's got to tell you which hand to put on the hammer first, or you get, you know, you're going to spend right. a long time. Yeah. So there's, there's a catalyzing of the process that can occur. And then, uh, a yielding that needs to happen um, in order to to discover something new and by definition what from being bottom end of something to the middle of the bell curve is conformity anything that conforms brings us towards the the median and once you get to the median you need to do abnormal things to get away from the median to get to the other side to be an outlier on that bell curve and and so systems aren't a bad thing and when i look online now especially with instagram and facebook and the amount of sort of coaching systems that have uh offered up and proliferated around the world they're not a bad thing for a school kid because it'll get you from being a, a 30 meter discus thrower to a 50 meter discus thrower because you learn fundamentals pretty quickly it's direct instruction uh but then to get from being a 50 meter discus thrower to a 70 meter discus thrower is a very different problem and it requires uh a different approach and yeah i guess if you can scan that or span that whole bell curve and and maybe some of it's fortuitous as you say with yuri and and dr b that yuri's talented enough and dr b smart enough that they're probably starting beyond the median they can take mm -hmm. a discovery-based approach and a, a scientific experimental based approach because direct instruction i don't i don't know how to throw as I said at the start, I'm a 2060 shot putter at my best. And that was for me. And Tom, for according to my lens, didn't even have the gifts that I had. You know, I can standing mm -hmm. throw further than him. And right, right. Stuff. So, so you have to dissolve your, your own um, conceptualization of how to solve the problem of making the shot go further and just have some process of interrogating it. The process of interrogation becomes 
um, more privileged than the, the answer itself. Right. Right. But at the same time though, you do know how to experiment, right? Like you do know how yeah. to, you know, you do yeah. know how to say, okay, well let's, you know, let's, let's work on this. Uh, let's see where this goes. Let him internalize it, actualize it. You know, I mean, nobody does that better than Dr. B. I mean, that's his mm. whole approach mm. to coaching. Everything, everything with that guy is about throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And that is actually one of the problems with, if you go to any of his athletes or anybody that trained with him and say to them and ask them, okay, well, you know, what's the Dr. B system like? Like you are going to get an, I mean, you, you, you go to 10 different athletes. You're, you're not just going to get 10 different answers. You know, four of them could be outright outrageously wrong because a lot of times, man, I mean, I saw him do things and I'd be like, why are you doing that? Like I'd kind of whisper it. Right. And he, and, and he'd go, he goes, daddy, I just, I scientist, I, I experiment, you know, like this. And, and, and that was it. I was like, really? That you're, that's just an experiment. Like, and he, and he would do it at, I saw him do it with Dylan at world championships once between yeah. the, yeah. Between the, uh, uh, which one was it in, uh, was it shit? Was it Osaka? Maybe I think where they, they had, you know, shot right. Men shot back. I, did, did they still do qualifying in the morning final at night or, or did they stop no. that? Because no, okay. they stopped that. I think, uh, maybe, when was the last one? It wasn't Doha, so maybe okay. 2018. Okay, yeah. so so back when they were still doing that, he, um, you know, Dylan threw in qualifying, and he comes out, and Dr. B has him go right into the weight room, which what, if I remember right, was under a tent. So oh, in Osaka, you know, in August, it was like, and he has him do all this and general strength, you know, this, you know, lifting it before, and everybody's hauling ass back to hotel, and I, I'm going. Dr. B like, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, he goes, he goes uh, it's risky. He goes, <laughs> he says to me, he goes, it's risky, but if it works, it's really going to work. And I'm like, holy shit. Like really? And, and of course, you know, Dylan went in that night and uh, yeah, it was 2011. That's right. Cause he was the number one guy in the world. He'd thrown 22. I think, I think it was that year anyway. Yeah. And he go, and he crapped out, right. He threw, he came like sixth and, you know, and uh I think that's the one, but anyways, it was, I was like, Whoa, but that's what he does. But when, you know, I mean, his whole approach is, is about, I I'm, I'm putting too much of a negative spin on it, but his whole, his whole approach is about experimenting, whether it's uh, whether it's with his uh, programming or whether it's technique, it's, it's everything is what giant experiment. I saw him or I heard, I wasn't there, but I, I saw him like, or I heard, sorry, I heard about him give, Martin Bingisser, a hundred sessions once. He did the same <laughs> fucking thing a hundred times over, like a hundred workouts in her, this before he. I think he got to like a hundred four or something like that, and he was just you know just, right. he just wanted to see you know. It's like uh, the story that Don said in the podcast about Murufushi doing like hundred fifty throws or hundred seventy five throws, yeah. right? He just wanted to see where it would go. He see didn't, what I mean, yeah. Murafushi's not dumb enough to think that that's actually going to be a feasible. No. <laughs> he, well, wanted yeah. to, he, he wanted to see what the hell would happen. I mean, I, th I, I tip my hat to him for that. Right. But that's anyway, so I, I'll stop there on that, but um, 
Okay. So, so we're at God, dude, we're at an hour and 23 minutes. We're going to have to do a separate one for, for uh, talk about Lauren. Um, because I would like to talk about Lauren and Valerie and what, you know, uh, your experience with them. I think that's probably better for another podcast. Um, have we missed anything with Tom before we get in? You said you wanted to circle back to my, my last podcast with Dan. I'm very hesitant to, uh, yeah, no, to bring look, that uh, up. I, I guess my, I, okay. I'll, let me, let me put a full stop on Tom and say, yes, that, um, thank you. I've been pretty, uh, cavalier here not to mention the team of people that it takes to facilitate that process and um i guess one of the things that was pointed out to me starting out was that to, as a young coach was the importance of getting adult supervision and having a, a team of respected uh triangulators mentors whatever you want to call them who you can bounce these kind of ideas off and um this is by no means uh a one-man project it's far from it and to the point now where with tom uh we're actively working now i'm catching up with him tomorrow after he's had a break getting back from tokyo and all the rest to, to give him the keys to the bus a little bit more mm -hmm. and um that's uh, uh a new a new era for us so yeah i, I need to acknowledge uh the, the team that play into this too and um, I can't just sit here and take uh, take credit. It would be undue. But my question to you was uh, unrelated un, uh, necessarily to any of the specifics of the com conversation with um, with Dan. Um, but personally, for myself, I I don't have that exact same shared experience as you covered going back into your the history of what you two share, but. Um, I have some of those same characteristics, personality characteristics, mm. and that manifest slightly differently. And my question was, do you think it's kind of a nature or nurture thing that people who are of that uh, mindset of that uh, concept towards coaching, or is there something about coaching that feeds it and, and encourages oh. that kind of obsessive compulsive uh, yeah. pattern of behavior uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have a hypothesis on that one yet, but when I heard you two speak and knowing the reverence that uh, you're held in and obviously that, that uh, Dan Paff's held in, um, uh, it just made me wonder. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a few things I, I, I was sorry. I didn't ask him later. I thought, you know, yeah, like, mm -hmm. um, and there was one line of question along those lines, right? Like how, you know, um, like, do you feel you were a better coach, um, now that you're sober and I guarantee you, he'll tell you yes. Right. But at the same time, he's pretty damn successful. And I was pretty damn successful when I was drinking. And mm -hmm. I remember, you know, that I talked about the emails, right. And that in one yes. of those emails in that folder, I asked him that. Okay. This is when I'm getting sober, right? These are fucked, dude. Mm -hmm. I would never like, I, I actually hide that folder because there's some seriously dark shit in there. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. and at one point I said to him, I said, you know, like I said, you know, I'm really worried that if, if, and when I stopped, this is before I got sober, because there was a two year period there where I'd met him and, and I was, crashing all the time i crash and burn and i get sober for two or three months and i crash and burn and get so you know and and at one point i said to him i said you know i'm really worried 
that it's going to change me as a coach if I get sober. Because mm. as bad as I was, I was rocking as a coach. Now, I, I was better later, but I didn't know that was coming. And he said to me, he goes, uh, I'll never forget this. This is another one of those things that just that I'll never forget. He said, no, all it does is just remove all the shit. He said, it mm. just just takes all the shit off. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, okay. I could <laughs> I could add a lot because that's exactly what I'm, I'm not into right now. But I absolutely, well, first of all, I mean, in terms of a nature nurture, um, you know, the, the, you know, how those two impact whether or not you're an alcoholic. Well, I mean, my answer won't surprise you. It's both. Right. I mean, I have it. I mean, it goes back fucking generations in my family on both sides, but there are people in my family who the bug, you know, they definitely got the gene, but the bug, it just didn't realize itself. Right. For whatever reason, whatever that is that gets triggered. Didn't. Yeah. I guess my, to, 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 to just interject there, my question is not so much about the, the, uh, yeah. It's about whether that personality is attracted to coaching. coaching. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I, I do. I do think it is. And I think it's, I think it's connected to work ethic. Right. Mm-hmm. because like, like Dan said in that, in that podcast, right. It's like he traded one addiction for another. Well, he was probably a workaholic at the same time. I was, I was, I, yeah. and I still am a fucking total workaholic. And I think yeah. it's, it's man, you know what it's like to be your own support system. Don't you? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. you got to work your ass off and, and, and I'm not, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I get all these accolades for being, you know, whatever. And I, you know, I mean, I don't deserve most of them. I've done some good things, but what I have done good with the developmental athletes, bringing them, I fucking work my ass off for that. Like I, you know, and I just happened at the time is like, I think I said that this in the podcast, I just like, I thought everybody was doing that. I thought everybody was working 18 hours a day, yeah. <laughs> developing no they weren't <laughs> they weren't doing that at all but i but you know i i was i coached like i drank right all or nothing yeah. it was um, all or nothing and i was like if i'm in for what's the saying about you know in for a penny in for a pound right yeah. i was just i would get fully immersed in it and and there was no i would leave no rock unturned and i would bug the fuck out of everybody around me that that you know to you know to get what i what i needed to to be successful it's the same thing same patterns with drinking it was like once i had one drink man there's no fucking stopping me i was gonna get that second drink and and like i i think i also said you know it was like five times in my life where that just did not happen for whatever reason so i had to stop but every other time i found it i found the booze i found the money found whatever and and uh it's same with coaching, man. I'll bet you, you know, man, it's the same thing. Do you, do you not find you, 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 I mean, you know, is what I'm, is this ringing a bell? <laughs> ringing a bell. I, um, you know, you said at the start, like having, you know, living in the, the opposite side of the world and working on, you know, pointy end Olympic campaigns and having two young kids and lockdowns and all this stuff. And you're like, man, that must be hard. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I don't, <laughs> is it weird that I don't find it that hard because I, I don't, f- 
find it hard to immerse myself to that degree in stuff I care about. And same as you, Mark, everyone should be doing this. It's like, what, what, where's the fun in doing it if you're doing it half-assed? And um, yeah. Yeah. I can exactly. see how that manifests destructively. And uh, part of what I've got to do now and I'm working to try and do is to, in order to make that sustainable longitudinally is to work with other people to bring them in um, to create teams and and that stuff's not natural because part of me is just like man just do it the right way first time i'll do yeah. it give it here and totally um or how about I this i don't want that to be a hallmark uh, I mean, sorry yeah you go no no i was just going to say well how about this i mean do you do you ever find yourself in situations where you're putting together those teams and you're like okay yeah we're doing this we're doing this and you get you know, you're not getting buy-in from certain people. They're not as, mm. you know, um, they're not as um, committed as you are, right? And, mm. you know, you just get pissed right off, right? It's like, fuck, come yeah. on. Like, why are you not as excited about this as I am, right? It's the same yeah. thing when you're drunk and you're in a room full of people that aren't drunks. Yeah, You cannot yeah. figure out why they don't want to go fucking balls to the wall, a hundred percent, a hundred miles an hour. Like you do, you, you can't figure it out. You're just like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Right. Yeah. I, it's exact same thing when I'm, when I'm in a coaching environment and I see, you know, I see a coach who is showing up and only coaching technique and fucking off home yeah. and not looking after the, you know, he's not sewing holes in the cage and he's not uh, maintaining the implements and he's not, or she, you know, is not, they're not doing all these little fucking things that to me is like, Jesus Christ, man, are you a coach or aren't you a coach? Are you, are you, you know, I mean, are you, are you punching a clock or not? Because that's not me. I'm, you know, and I, it yeah. sounds boastful. It's not, it, it's a problem. It's a real fucking yeah. problem because you yeah. get, because you get, you get too into the weeds sometimes and, and you, you don't let the, the athlete sometimes do everything you just talked about that you're doing with Tom, which is you mm -hmm. don't allow them to have that freedom because you fucking strangle them because you're such a, you know, because you're trying to micromanage everything, right? That's the mm -hmm. downside to it. The upside to it is that you can, is that that drive outworks everybody and so mm -hmm. that puts you that puts you ahead of everybody i'm no smarter this is what i was trying to get at before i'm no fucking smarter than than at all than any of my colleagues but i could outwork most of them especially when i was a mm -hmm. younger coach right and i still can most mm -hmm. people right but mm -hmm. it's not you know that's that's all i got sometimes and, and it's you know i mean it's it's that's the upside to it but the downside is you can you can micromanage everything to the point where you strangle everybody, right? Like you strangle the athletes. And that's where I, that's where I fucked up. Whenever yeah. I fucked up with that. Oh yeah, totally. Whenever I fucked up with athletes, I just went through it with this, uh, the girl I was in Tucson with, right. It was like, yeah. you know, I mean, I was good. It wasn't like I was like a maniac or anything, but I was pushing too hard for too, too many advances, technically too fast. I was too excited about it. Ah, 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 you know, and she just, it just, she didn't have the personality for that. She just, she just wanted to be more left alone. And I couldn't, I just, you know, and by the time I figured it out, uh, she was, 
gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but I, you know, I mean, you seem like a pretty intense dude. I mean, you, 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 I mean, you, you're, you're composed now, but I mean, I can see the fire, right? Like I can see the fire in your belly and, and that's why you've been successful down there. Right. Do you, here's my question to you. Just take this. Do you ever, now it's a little bit different these days with, we have so the communication often options are so huge, but you ever feel isolated down there? Do you ever feel like alone? Yeah. Because that, that would be a danger for me. I, well, not so much for me, but I, I, I know, I know some people with, with issues uh, that, you know, one of their issues is, you know, if you get left, you know, they want to be left alone or they're isolated so they can fucking do their own thing. You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you, do you, do you ever find that down there with coaching that you kind of like, like it's good in one way, but yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to it. And uh, the ability to just hide away and sort of get things done without massive specter of uh, bureaucracy or um, logistics hanging over us is, is uh, uh, enviable. I think we're, we're in a very luxurious circumstance and able to being able to do that stuff, but those are not lost on us that the, the real sport when we're talking about uh, throwing, it happens in the US and Europe. Uh, we, we have competitions here. And it's hey, you're breaking really up again, bad. bud. Can you hear me? You want me back? Oh, there, yeah, that's better. That's yeah, better. Sorry, where, where did I get to there? No. Have to chop this off. Basically, sorry. the answer, the right, right, it was right from the beginning when you started, and then it quickly. Yeah. So you were saying, I asked yeah, you about like, being a... I was going to say, look, there's, there's pros and cons. Um, the ability to, to hide away and get work done is uh, enviable. Um, we, can, we can get things done on a, a long time basis. So we've got a summer here or you guys have got a winter in the Northern Hemisphere and we, uh, we can make the most of that and perpetually live in summer. But is it isolating? Less so now with the internet communication. I mean, the last 12 to 18 months has been tough uh, with the restrictions around travel, but it's just part of the deal is we've got to, mm. we've got to get on the road and kind of take it to where the game happens. And uh, I remember chatting. So, so Valerie's brother, uh, Stephen, plays in the NBA. And really? He, uh, yeah, he's playing for Memphis now. He, he played for Oklahoma and then he played for the Pelicans and, I'm yeah, going there this weekend. Just saying. There you go. There you, yeah. You're going to Memphis? Yeah. I can yeah. hook you up with Steve. He's a good yeah. guy. He's a yeah, nice sure. guy. And um, he came down and trained with us at, at Don's place, actually, in Athens, Georgia, for a oh, couple wow. of weeks. And um, during the off-season, when we were there with Valerie and Tom and and, um, and Lauren, and he, uh, I was chatting with him about exactly this, and because he, he's a New Zealander that's living outside of New Zealand. And he just said it's part of the deal. You know, you don't begrudge it because – if you want to play at the highest level, you go where you got to go and you do what you got to do. And um, I, I understand that. I don't think it, you, you're just setting yourself up for suffering to, to expect it to be something other than what it is. And the pros of living in New Zealand outweigh the cons. Um, it's a, and if they didn't, then we wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Hey, listen, man, uh, I think that's probably a good place to, to end. I think... I mean, if you're into it, man, I could do a couple of these because that was uh, that was one of the deeper talks on 
training that I've had. Like, I really like your approach. I think it was, uh, I got very into that. So that, that that's really cool. I knew it would, I knew this was going to be good. Um, so, you know, I mean, if you're into it, I, I would like to do it, but we, we should, I, I'm just going to right now, thank you for your time. It was uh, very good. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. I would like to have, an, like I said, another conversation more geared towards the hammer. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but for now, we'll, we'll let's leave it at that. And thanks a lot. It was a lot of insight. If I, I may even come up with some more questions about Tom. You know, I don't even know if I got to any specific questions on, on my list here. But anyways, thanks. Hey, like, what do you go by? Do you, do, should I call you Steve-O or Dale or what? Yeah, so Steve-O Steve is kind of my uh, Australianized name. Um, okay. Obviously, Stevenson being my surname. Right. Uh, you, growing up, it's quite a quite a common thing in Australia to take someone's surname and kind of Australianize it, authorize right. it, as they say. But um, hey, they do that with a lot of stuff. A lot worse than both those things. So, yeah. I, uh, you, you can call me Steve-O, but uh, look, yeah. to your point, th thank you for the work you're doing, um, collating and, and gluing together um, the, the community around the world on, on, who are interested in these kind of topics. And uh, if there are people who are intrigued to pursue the conversations, either in a recorded format like this or offline, um, there's a million ways to reach out via you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I'm not prolific on that side of things, but I am contactable and um nice yeah i look forward to chatting again yeah all right thanks steve -o. cheers mate bye all right